0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Monash This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We've got a great guest, but first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. The Real Estate Espresso Podcast is brought to you by International Coffee Farms. International Coffee Farms grows and sells specialty coffee in Boquete, Panama. They now have 11 fully operational coffee farms, and they are 100% sold out. They are accepting reservations for farm number 12 the idea of owning a safe, diversified offshore investment is intriguing to you, check out International Coffee Farms at internationalcoffeefarms.com. That's internationalcoffeefarms.com. We are back on the Weekend Edition. We've got a great guest this weekend all the way from Anchorage, Alaska, the host of Get Rich Education, part of the Forbes Council on Real Estate. Welcome to the show, Keith Weinhold.
1: Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Victor, here at the terrific New Orleans Investment Conference in New Orleans, Louisiana. You know, it's funny,
0: I don't get up to Anchorage very often, but we seem to meet each other at some of the most amazing places. So great to bump into you again. And you've got a new book, The Seven Money Myths That Are Killing Your Wealth Potential. Tell me, why did you write the book?
1: There are an awful lot of myths out there, and really one's conventional notions of wealth building are just wrong. I mean, look at what's happened. We now have a generation of retirees that have relied on their 401k, but between 7 and 10 and 8 in 10 Americans cannot afford to retire because they've been reliant on a 401k.
0: One of the myths, you know, there's so many financial authors out there that talk about, for example, compound interest, and that's your secret to building wealth, and in your book you talk about that as actually not quite being true. Why don't you expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, see, a lot of people think that they can acquire wealth if they get their money to work for them, and that's actually wrong and that's oversimplified. So very basically, if you want to socioeconomically stratify society into poor, middle class, and wealthy. Poor people don't really have any money left over to invest, but they might serve society. Middle class people, they work for money just like poor people. Middle class people, they typically have money left over to invest, and what middle class people think about with their investing dollar is, how can I get my money to work hard for me? Well, I'm telling you, if you're trying to get your money to work hard for you, you're not going to acquire wealth or live the best life that you can possibly live. You need to ethically get other people's money to work for you. You might have heard that, but are you really doing it? Now everyday people can actually employ other people's money three ways at the same time and with a proven vehicle like real estate with a small down payment. And you do it ethically because you provide people with housing that's clean, safe, affordable, and functional. Be a good operator. Don't be a slumlord. Be ethical. But here's how you employ other people's money three ways at the same time when you put a small down payment on an income property. The first way you do that is because you get the tenant's cash flow for your income stream. The second of three ways you're employing other people's money is with the government's money for very generous tax incentives like, for example, never having to pay capital gains tax with a 1031 exchange or tax depreciation, which basically means that part of your rent income from that tenant is sheltered. And then the third of three ways, using other people's money at the same time, is probably the least understood way, using the bank's money for leverage and for a loan and for greatly amplified rates of return. So don't get your money to work for you and don't be only focused on that. Think about how you can ethically employ other people's money. You can do that three ways at the same time. You don't have to have the latest app or some, you know, flashy new social media idea. This is just buy and hold real estate.
0: I love that. You know, if building wealth successfully is not necessarily very fancy. It's very simple, very basic, and just sticking to that and doing it repeatedly over a sustained period of time. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, it's really not very flashy. Buy and hold real estate investing can really be pretty boring, I think. But real estate investors when they're savvy and they have a strategy, they don't just think about buying a property first. Oftentimes when you think about real estate investing, you think about, well, well what property can I buy? Oh, okay, I would tell people, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, pull back. I actually tell people that are interested in real estate investing, stop looking at property. Pull back, be strategic. The way a lot of people buy real estate is they might commute to work and they see this pretty yellow duplex both ways on the round trip and it's got nice landscaping and pretty shutters and they see a for sale sign on it that, that day and they think that oh, they could buy that and, and rent that out to somebody and and be the landlord themselves. Well, I don't know if that's the best use of your time and then the numbers probably don't work. You probably let emotions get into a pretty building. So I tell people pull back. The most important thing in real estate investing is what do you want real estate to do for you, are you interested in lifestyle investing? Or do you want appreciation or tax benefits? Or do you want cash flow, which is what most people want? You want to buy a property where you maximize your cash flow because that builds passive income for you. But what do you want real estate to do for you? That's number one. The second most important thing is what is the market that's gonna provide that for you? Is it a market in Birmingham, Alabama, or San Diego, California, two very different markets? What's gonna provide that cash flow if you want it? It might also be market based on use type, a mobile home park, an assisted living home, an apartment building. The third most important thing is that team of professionals that you surround yourself with, most importantly, that property manager. And then and only then do you begin looking at the property because if those first three things don't work out, you, the market, and the team, then the property won't work either. But when you've been strategic and you figure out those first three things, now you can look at property and you're really setting yourself up for success.
0: I love that. You know, one of the things that we've noticed in, you know, in building our portfolio when you invest strategically it's not just about buying right it's not just about you know buying at a low price at the end of the day it's the tenants that have the money and for you to get wealthy the money has to transfer from them to you it's not just about occupancy it's 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 about making sure that there's demand, making sure that they have ability to pay a lot of people spend so much of their time just with their head buried in a spreadsheet and they don't actually get out into the marketplace and figure out you know how is this wealth I don't want to call it a wealth transfer although in some respects it is how is this money actually going
1: to flow to you? That's a great point because for income centric investors it all begins with a tenant And the viability of the market and the economic diversification that's in that market that's going to provide that tenant with a job to pay for your income stream. This is something that I think I first heard from the real estate guys. My mindset when I go buy a property, once those first three things fit, me, the market, and the team... I'm not just looking at a property where I'm buying it, thinking about the tenant that's in there now. I wanna buy a property where I have a reasonable expectation that when that tenant vacates in 18 months, that another tenant is going to be there to come in and pay the rent. Now, how could I possibly know that? Well, I'll never know that, but I can have a reasonable expectation of that when I've been strategic and I bought in a market where in-migration exceeds out-migration and there's been wage growth and there is a fairly diverse economy and I'm not just buying a property in a town of 6,000 people where half the jobs are dependent on the zinc mine that's out at the edge of town. So I want to buy in a thriving market that has diverse economic sectors because that's where, like you just said, Victor, that income stream comes from. It comes from the tenant. That's what makes this entire thing work. So again, it's about being strategic and putting the market ahead of the property.
0: So your book is Seven Money Myths. We've covered one. Why don't we cover one more, but I don't want you to cover them all because I want them to go buy the book.
1: Another one is that compound interest will make you wealthy. A lot of people like to sort of romanticize the impact of compound interest, and compound interest looks really great when it's plotted on a chart because it looks like the, the curve go parabolic and, and things grow exponentially as this compound interest leads to wealth. I think it's pretty easy to make that projection. Mathematically, compound interest does work. Compound interest does build wealth, but you have to take that return that's reported And ask yourself, if you are really getting that return, you need to factor in the deleterious effects, like, for example, in a mutual fund portfolio of inflation, emotion, taxes, fees and volatility. And yes, there is an emotional component there that you just cannot discount. That's why a lot of people miss out and they don't get these compound interest returns that are reported. We know that we are all humans and you know it's difficult to be a rational human being when a market runs up, 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 and there's so much momentum, maybe potentially like there is now in the stock market, because it's very easy to want to buy in and you kind of get bathed in this media bath of everyone's making so much money and I have FOMO and I have fear of missing out. That's why a lot of people buy in at the top. And a lot of people sell low because another emotion comes into play when the market goes down, 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 down and keeps sliding down. Well, now you have a fear of a loss and it's so easy to feel discouraged and it's so easy to sell low even though you know that you're supposed to do the opposite thing. It, it's kind of Victor like where eight in 10 people in polls feel like they are a better driver than average when only five in 10 can. And a similar things happen with investors, people think that they have their emotions in check. And everyone thinks that they're a disciplined investor until their portfolio gets cut in half by 50%. So the emotional component really hurts people with the volatility. A lot of people aren't even adjusting for inflation in fees. So rather than compound interest, you need leverage to get wealthy. Again, other people's money. Terrific. Such great messages. Keith, if folks want to buy the book, how do they do that? they can buy it on Amazon. Again, the name of the book is Seven Money Myths That Are Killing Your Wealth Potential. You can learn more about me at getricheducation.com or the Get Rich Education podcast.
0: Keith, great to run into you again. For, For the listeners at home, have a spectacular rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.